we wind up our three-part series on DVR's Triple Crown auctions and also take a look at some potential bargains for NL-only leagues. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had uh, three go-throughs uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, May 1st. It's May already. I'm Al Melchior, and I'm here with DVR. Uh, happy May to you. Happy May to you too, Al. It was the longest April of my life, and I'm sure that holds true for many of the people listening out there. And just flipping the calendar to a new day uh, is a prog- it's step forward, right? It's progress in the right direction. Yes, uh, hopefully uh, closer to baseball, but uh, of course, you know, here we are, first of May, and uh, you know, there's still a lot uh, that uh, has to be worked out through here. And um, you know, you and I talked about that in an earlier episode this week that uh, there are several plans out there. Jeff Passan laid out a uh, timeline where you know maybe we have baseball in uh, in July, but uh, in the meantime, we do have a few uh, injury updates. And uh, so, you know, this is good news if we are anticipating some baseball uh, in, uh, you know, some point this summer. A couple of updates from the Cardinals, uh, Jordan Hicks and uh, also Miles Michaelis, they are both throwing bullpen sessions. So um, Michaelis almost certainly would be ready for a 2020 season whenever that would happen. And Hicks also, um, you know, there's a lot more there uh, for him coming off of Tommy John surgery, but there's, you know, at least some possibility that he could actually be pitching for the Cardinals. I would assume probably not initially as a closer, but pitching out of the Cardinals bullpen when baseball uh, does return, if it returns this year. And we also have an update from uh, Brian McTaggart of MLB.com on Justin Verlander. Uh, McTaggart tweeted on Thursday, that Verlander is doing well, doing very well, since having surgery on March 17th. Uh, Verlander's lat is just about healed. He is throwing long toss, though not quite at 100%, just uh, taking the safe route with that, but uh, a good update there on Justin Verlander. And I'm sure we will have more updates to come on all uh, three of those pitchers in uh, the coming days and weeks. But uh, DVR, let's spend the meat of this show talking about your third and final Triple Crown auction. This was NL only. How did you feel about your team? And was there anything different about your approach this time around as opposed to the previous two auctions? What I was trying to do was probably a little more stars and scrubs than what I actually did. It didn't fall into a completely balanced team. I do have expensive players thanks to early buys of both Jacob deGrom and Cody Bellinger. deGrom went for 45. Bellinger went for 48. I think some of the other top buys like Acuna at 57. uh, Christian Yelich went for 56. There was a a pretty big gap between the the top two bats and then the next wave of players. Mookie Betts at 51. So I felt like I got good relative value early and I thought there'd be one more expensive player in the core, and it just didn't happen. The room, compared to last week in the AL auction, was a lot more aggressive throughout the first, I would say, probably five rounds of bidding. So the top 75 players that came up were all going for numbers kind of at or above their projected value, whereas last week in the AL, they were often going below their projected value. Uh, so there actually were end game bargains to behold, but I was really worried for a while that 
there wasn't going to be enough playing time for me to spend my money on. And I had a run probably about two hours in where I ended up with a bunch of 16 to $20 players, AJ Pollock, David Peralta, Andrew McCutcheon, even Corey Seager at 25. He was a little more of a core play, but uh, I didn't think I'd be quite as invested in that group. But that's just the way things kind of played out as people kept overpaying for $20 players. Yeah, well, and I want to focus on that group. Uh, I thought that was an interesting part of your your team construction there. Um, so, as you mentioned, you, David Peralta, Andrew McCutcheon, Corey Seager, um, and uh, you know, all coming off of injuries. You also mentioned AJ Pollock too, not coming off of an injury, but you know, certainly having an injury history. Was this a matter of? Yeah, not to overstate it, but you know, panic maybe because as you were saying, uh, things played out differently than you thought it would, uh, and taking on more health risk. Or, or do you see it differently? Do you see these players as is not particularly risky? There's definitely some risk. I mean, I think with McCutcheon coming off of a, a torn ACL, that's a little bit less of a lingering injury. Now, it it may limit how often the Phillies want to let him try to steal bases. It may make him a less effective base runner in general, and bring down his run score total a little bit. Uh, but I think as far as a guy that had a major injury goes, McCutcheon is relatively safe. We know he's going to play almost every day, and we know he's going to have a very prominent spot in that Phillies lineup. Uh, I think with Peralta and A.J. Pollock, I, I saw two guys who should be a big part of, of their respective offenses as well. I mean, Peralta probably sits against lefties. Pollock occasionally at least will sit against righties, but I could see Pollock being the Dodger who wins the most playing time as a result of the potential use of the DH for the National League this year. If we have universal DHs, the Dodgers have a lot of depth. Pollock could be the guy that probably gets the biggest bump, even though a few other players would get bumps there as well. So the common theme for me with all three of those guys really is where they hit in the lineup when they play. I was really looking for guys that even if they weren't elite in terms of skills, they're kind of elite in terms of opportunity with their lineup position. Uh, all right. And, you know, I want to get to uh, another player too, who's, you know, sort of mid range for you in terms of salary and that's Ender and Ciarte. Uh, and this reminds me of something I actually saw on Twitter on Thursday, uh, where on, uh, you tweeted out the link to, uh, to rates and barrels. And it looks like, and I, I apologize. I haven't listened to the episode, but um, it sounds like you and Eno talked about the possibility of players and maybe pitchers in particular having more of a chance for playing time. So first of all, did I read into that correctly? Yeah, so what we started talking about is the idea that in a shortened season in which there might be significantly reduced or possibly no minor league games other than complex ball or just something that looks very different, teams might be more willing to push pitching prospects into the big leagues than they ordinarily would be. And the reasoning behind that is we could use Edward Cabrera as an example on the Marlins. He's an important part of their future. They want him to get a set number of competitive innings this year. Whether or not the Marlins win this season probably doesn't matter that much to them anyway. But the long-term development of a future ace is a top priority. You could apply the same principles to Sixto Sanchez and that organization as well. And if teams are going to try and spread innings around a little more evenly, or if they have a taxi squad where they can bring uh, minor league pitchers in and out of the roster a little bit, it really could be creative usage for guys like that. And 
even if they're not necessarily in the starting rotation all season, they could be multi-inning relievers. We might see more bullpen games than ever before. So I think I've just started to open up my mind to the possibility that even non-contending teams might take the development of young pitching and prioritize that above service time because the future will matter for all of those teams and for those players. All right. Well, I promise we are going to weave our way back to Kristen Page here uh, or, and um, uh, Ender and Ciarte in a moment. But uh, so the, the linkage for me is that on Thursday's show, Michael Beller and I talk, took the exact opposite tack. Uh, we talked about Cody Stavenhagen's piece about the Tigers and how there's a scenario where maybe none of those really high-end pitching prospects uh, pitch in the majors in 2020. And, um, you know, so I don't know if really it makes sense to talk about pitchers and, and hitters uh, pitching and hitting prospects uh, in the same way because their preparation is obviously going to be very different and the the amount of developmental time they, they need uh, may be different. But, you know, I just wonder if there's an argument for thinking that Enciarte, who you got for uh, yes, twelve dollars, and that could wind up you know maybe really paying off for you because if we take the opposite tack of what you were just talking about, what you discussed with Eno, and that uh, if teams are going to be loath to you know uh, add to the service time of prospects, if they're going to be loath to let them take their uh, development uh, in the in the major leagues, you know especially a contending team like the Braves, maybe that creates a much bigger role for somebody like Enciarte in 2020. Yeah, and I think the other thing to consider with Ender Enciarte is that if you're trying to put together the best defensive outfield for the Braves, not using Peche or, or Drew Waters or any of the prospects, Ender Enciarte is in that top three. He's playing center field. Ronald Acuna is flanking him in right, and Marcelo Zuna is flanking him in left. And I think a defender like Enciarte can help offset some of the range issues that a player like Ozuna brings to the table. Uh, and aside from that, you look at this lineup. I mean, there's still a chance that Inciarte could find his way to a prominent spot. It seems like they like Acuna in the leadoff role, but at, when he's healthy, Inciarte gets on base at a high clip. He's generally been a good base stealer throughout his big league career. Uh, seven for eight last year in just 65 games. I think the 28 for 42 was a little bit of a, an anomaly from him in 2018. But uh, this is a player who has a better floor than people are probably giving him credit for. I think there's a lot of stock being put into uh, the low average from last year. 246 was the lowest batting average we've ever seen from Ender Enciarte as a big league player. So just a guy that I think makes sense as a cheap steals play because even if he's not a regular in the lineup, he should play three, maybe four times a week and often get into games as a defensive replacement and, and have a chance to be a cheap source of speed for deeper leagues. Yeah, no, absolutely. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. 
Hydrant starts just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You could save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code BASEBALL at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code BASEBALL for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BASEBALL. Let's uh, shift over to the pitching because you know while there's that mid-range group of hitters that you got who may have some risk, there's really no argument to be had with uh, the the pitching you drafted. You started out uh, filling in with Degrom at forty five dollars, Sonny Gray, an absolute bargain in my opinion at twenty three dollars, and another great bargain for Adrian Hauser at just seven dollars. Um, so that's that's the core of your pitching staff. Once again, you didn't go. And remind me, DVR was this the was it the mixed league where you didn't go for a uh, a closer or somebody who projects to be a closer it was one of your your previous auctions yeah it was the mixed league two yeah. weeks ago I, I did get chapman in the al so i didn't right. punt saves in all three leagues but i was really trying not to overpay for saves i had a plan going in and it was just foiled the bids didn't really fall my way so um you know i, I decided probably about an hour in to spend a little bit more on my second starter i, I decided to pay 20 plus for one more starter after getting to grom whereas if i had been able to get one of the top closers, I probably wouldn't have spent quite that much on my second pitcher. All right. So, you know, you went for a bunch of potential closers and waiting, including going into that Cardinals bullpen, which we talked about just a little bit earlier um, with uh, Jordan Hicks, Uh, you know, maybe getting in the saves mix this year. It's really hard to say at this point, obviously, but you you got Ryan Helsley for $3. You also got Robert Stevenson for a buck and uh, a couple of relievers in the uh reserve rounds uh roan wick which i just i love that as a reserve round pick and andrew miller but what you know you spent three dollars on ryan helsley i may be the low guy in the world on him because he seems to get some interest in in a lot of drafts and auctions and i get that he throws hard maybe it's a jordan hicks situation again where hicks his first time around the major leagues you know with that really hard sinker but not a lot of swings and misses and then last year uh, the strikeouts came i mean is it just that kind of upside play with helsley because really neither his fastball nor his um slider you know was a great swing and miss pitch last season yeah it's just throwing a dart into a bullpen that i i think i just don't have a good read on i think giovanni gallego sort of gets priced as he's almost like a certain closer I'm not sure there's any certainty with regard to those chances being there from from day one or at least being there consistently throughout the season. The Cardinals could go the way of the Rays if they really want to. They've got a an interesting and deep bullpen. They could mix and match. They could have three or four different guys get five to eight saves this year, and that wouldn't surprise me at all. It would drive us all crazy from a fantasy perspective, but they'd be justified to do it. Um, so I, I took the cheap shot on on Helsley really late, mostly just because he throws hard. And if, if we do get a, a consistent swing and miss breaking pitch from him, I mean, that could unlock a lot of interesting possibilities for him. But even at three bucks, he might be the kind of guy that actually gets cut from this roster at some point pretty early in the season, depending on what my needs are on my pitching staff. Uh, you know, you've got some choices there. I mean, you start, you get some, you know, a quantity of really good bullpen arms and you just, you know, need one or two to, to break out for you. So, um, you know, the, the odds uh, seem pretty good there, but let's take a look at some of the uh, other teams and some of the other players um, that went in this auction. And I thought catcher was really interesting and particularly a cluster of three catchers who, 
Uh, if you look at projected value, I just went with um, ATC projections. Um, I, as I've said before on uh, some previous episodes, I generally like those. Um, they, they seem to jive with, <laughs> with my estimation of players, but none of these projections are really all that far from each other. So just using those projections, uh, Yadier Molina, Carson Kelly, and Omar Narvaez are all priced using those projections and then feeding that through the, uh, the fan graphs, um, the, uh, calculator, the auction calculator, they're all priced almost exactly the same, somewhere between nine and $10, uh, for your, for the format of this particular Triple Crown League. In the auction, Narvaez went pretty close to that range, just a little bit cheaper at $8. Molina only went for $4. Kelly went for $14. So was this a case of maybe Kelly went later and there was a bit of a panic? Or do you you think that those values really are, are you know, pretty uh, parsimonious? Uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, close to, to what, what those values should be. I think the one catcher format really screws people up. And with this being a 15 team NL only league, I would have expected Yadier Molina's price to be at the higher end, closer to that projection, because I don't really see any reason that the Cardinals would back off of his playing time. Like his share of the playing time is among the largest in the big leagues. As long as he's healthy, he's probably got an 85% share of the playing time. And there aren't that many catchers in that situation. So that seemed like a bargain. Uh, when you think about Narvaez moving into a more hitter-friendly park, assuming the Brewers are playing at Miller Park maybe at some point this season, I think he's one of those guys who's a little bit underpriced just in general drafts this particular auction. It seems like he goes a couple of rounds at a couple dollars later than he probably should uh, on a regular basis. So that one kind of stood out to me a little bit. I'm not quite sure what the story is. Carson Kelly at 14. I think we're going to have Jason Collette on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast on Friday. So that will be among the questions we ask him and we'll let him uh, explain that one to us. All right. And then you can you can report back. Uh, I thought that um, Michael Beller had an awfully good buy with Masson Bumgarner at $15. And there were some pitchers that I thought were pretty close to Bumgarner in value, again, according to my own estimation, who were all 20 or over. And Zach Wheeler of that group was probably the most expensive at 24. Do you see that much of a spread between Bumgarner and Wheeler? I think there's still a little more strikeout potential from Wheeler. Um, I think Bumgarner was underpriced probably by four or five dollars. I mean, again, with 15 teams, prices should be up probably 15 or 20 percent above a normal 12 team league, just based on how the player pool gets stretched out. So even though I'm not a Bumgarner honk, if you will, I'm uh, I'm looking at that price and and saying he's a good value as well. You're going to get a, a solid number of innings. I think people know you are, are over overcorrecting for some skills loss on him. I and mean, we're talking about a guy that missed significant parts of, of two of the last three seasons with fluke injuries. I think there's still something left in the tank. And, and Arizona's a good team, too. I think the team context improved. That that probably offsets the the loss of, of not pitching half of his games at Oracle Park anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely, uh, I would expect an increase in ERA and in the home run rate, but maybe the same for Wheeler going from City Field to uh, Citizens Bank Park. I mean, that's a that's a huge downgrade in, in park factor for Wheeler as well, even though he's very, very good at limiting hard contact on uh, airborne balls. So 
maybe uh, it won't play out as uh, badly for him as it would for some other pitchers. So um, any other buys that really impressed you? Um, I was just happy to get Sean Newcomb in the reserve rounds. That was a surprise. I mean, I think there's still room for growth there. If you said he's going to match maybe like Steven Matz in production this year, I wouldn't push back on that. And Matz was a $9 pitcher. So to get a guy like that in the reserve rounds felt like a, a great late bargain. Yeah, no, I thought that was fantastic. One of the one of the better picks in the reserve rounds. Um, a lot of good players in the reserve rounds, I thought. So uh, that's uh, puts a puts a bow on the uh, triple crown auctions. Uh, really, really cool that we have those uh, those to talk about DVR and uh, you know great thing that you've uh, put together for the uh, the community, including the uh, you know the charity aspect of it as well. So uh, something you all should check out on this really. Uh, hit the spot for me uh, as a, a former high school teacher who used Diamond Mind to teach uh, labor economics. <laughs> a piece in Market Watch about uh, a dad who used Stratomatic to teach his son uh, writing skills. So, and uh, the the title is self-explanatory. This Maryland dad is using an old Stratomatic baseball game to teach his son writing skills during their quarantine by Weston Blasey of Market Watch. Um, it's a really you know really nice read and. Uh, you know, I think it's all always nice when you know, as a baseball fan, we can see somebody using baseball uh, for fun and for education. So, on that note, that's going to wind up the week here for fantasy baseball in fifteen. If you're not already a subscriber to the Athletic, you can get a forty percent discount off your subscription. Just go to theathletic.com/slash/baseball in fifteen. Or take a whirl with the uh, 90-day free trial, and either way, uh, everything that's a part of the athletic, fantasy, uh, all the sports, it's all included in your subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be back here on Monday. Monday.